Hello and welcome to Shakespeare on Screen, a podcast where I meet up with someone to talk about adaptations of Shakespeare, be they tight film productions or just recorded stage shows or loose adaptations. And this week I got my good friend Bailey to come back to talk about the 2011 Rupert Gold Macbeth starring Patrick Stewart. Uh, hi, Bailey. Thanks for coming back on. It's I'm glad to be back. Always fun, fun to talk with you and about Shakespeare in general. I love talking to you and I love talking about, about Shakespeare. So it's great to have you back. So great pick, Bailey. And uh, just this is, is going to be the second time on this podcast where we talk about Macbeth. And uh, this Macbeth, directed by Rupert Gould, who, who's a big-time theater director, um, and he he has done a bunch of filmed TV movies of um, some stage shows that he's also directed. Uh, he directed also probably the definitive Richard II for the Hollow Crown series that also had Patrick Stewart in it. Um, and I sincerely recommend everyone check that out just just because that's one of my favorite Shakespeare series and just Shakespeare things of all time. And he also just recently did made a flat out just um, original movie. Uh, he directed Renee Zellweger in uh, the recent Judy Garland movie, Judy, that got Oscar nominated. So he's having a really good career right now. So it sounds like he's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a, uh, I mentioned the director because um, even though we got Pat, the legendary indisputably one of the great Shakespearean actors, Patrick Stewart. That's Sir Patrick Stewart to you, sir. Oh yes. <laughs> even though we have Sir Patrick in this, uh, I have said before that I think Macbeth is one of it's right there with um with I think a Midsummer Night's Dream of a director's play for Shakespeare. In that what the director chooses to to make Macbeth visually really about and how directing the performances and everything, that goes a lot into what Macbeth is. Could not agree with you more. In fact, that's one of the things that I often um focus on and note about this particular adaptation of Macbeth is, is the visuals and the sort of choices that uh, Gould make, uh, made in order to sort of uh, really extend the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know how... I, I, I want to talk so much about all the choices Gould made mm-hmm. before we even get into a performance. So... That's a perfect starting point. So, first and foremost, this movie is basically the perfect double feature with Ian McKellen's Richard III in terms of Ian McKellen's Richard III is this, like, pseudo-Nazi Germany. And so this Macbeth is pseudo-Soviet Union. Yeah. World War II. World War II Soviet Union. And that's actually kind of fitting because it's like, oh, yeah. Soviet Union invaded by this this other country. Oh, yeah. I get it. And mm-hmm. war, wartime leader comes in, into power. It's Macbeth. It's an interesting take. And I, I'm all for it. 
Yeah, it's just one of those classic examples of how history repeats itself and <laughs> how Shakespeare is still is still relevant. Yes. I do mention this. I, I didn't mention this last time, or maybe I did, but I'll mention it now again. I mean, for one thing about this this play is that is the actual play Macbeth is um one I do find like this play is probably the best evidence for to counter all the idiotic conspiracy theorists out there, the anti-Stratfordians as they're known, just because this is one of the easiest ones to just read the facts about it and read what's in the play and say, oh, wow, this is, I mean, the histories, the plays that depict the Wars of the Roses are rightfully sometimes criticized as being Tudor propaganda. Mm -hmm. Especially Richard III, that's kind of like blatant. It's like, wow, isn't it great we're under the Tudors? Because Richard III, what a monster. Right. And it's not as blatant, or it's not as like easy to spot for a bit more of a just casual audience nowadays watching Macbeth. Mm -hmm. But Macbeth is Stuart propaganda. It is 100% Stuart propaganda in that it's... And unlike... Other ones, though, it's like James the First, mm -hmm. the, the the future king of of Scotland and England, the first king who started the Stuart dynasty, is not just like alluded to; he's a plot point in the play. Yeah. So it's just like it's like, how could the Duke of of Essex or whatever, which one, Oxford, I think, or whatever, whichever Duke that they imagine, it's like, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure he was dead before. James became king. And it's just like, this is obvious. Like the, Shakespeare was, became James I's royal entertainer. And wow, he made a Scottish play saying it's going to be awesome because we're going to be ruled by, like, we're destined to be ruled by this really great line of kings from Banco. It's like, wow. Hmm. I wonder who that could be. Well, you know how it is for writers. You have to flatter the hand that feeds you. <laughs> of course, of course. If he didn't, he would be a madman. Right, and probably executed as well. Oh, yeah, which totally happened many, many times. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the other thing that, that's just... But the other thing I, I like to point out from is that Macbeth actually, no, Macbeth was a real person, and it's right there with Richard III and and Count Dracula of the biggest just smear campaign. And unfortunately, Rich, unlike poor Macbeth, unlike Richard III, doesn't have a society devoted to debunking Shakespeare's play. Mm-hmm. Like, no one's out there to – like, even though it, the, the stuff is out there, it's like, Macbeth, no – Macbeth didn't murder Malcolm. Malcolm wasn't this nice king. Like, Macbeth was actually a kind of decent dude and kind of decent king. And, yeah. And then he died. Like, yeah. 14 years into his reign. 14 years. Like, not... He wasn't like this one-year blip kind of thing. Yeah. Like, he <laughs> got time there. It's just like, I don't know where Shakespeare got what he got for this play. It just might have been just like... It's called artistic license, James. <laughs> I know, I know. I love the play. I, 
I, I just feel like it's a bit fair to point out just like the real Macbeth, it is the biggest, it's one of the biggest hack jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Have you, have you read Hamlet? <laughs> Uh, Hamlet's more. How much is Hamlet like based on like real history or just like? I don't know. I I can't say that for sure. I haven't researched it in a while. But I think I don't know. I think he just like, hey, there was a Danish prince named like Hamnet or something like that. Yeah, it was like this. Well, the real Hamlet, from what I remember, way Mm -hmm. back in high school, high school memory, so completely 100% reliable. But like. Like, that play was, like, that's more of, like, what The Lion King is actually based on, kind yeah. of. Cause like well, it, and then have like, you seen the second one, too? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, that, <laughs> yeah. so like, uh, Lion King 2, Simba's Pride is Romeo and Juliet. Yes. And then it can be argued that Lion King 1 and a half is, like, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yes, that's been recommended for me for this podcast to do. All three of those movies. Mm-hmm. They're good ones. Uh, I will gladly do Lion King, and if someone, if you or anyone else is willing to watch those movie, these other two straight-to-video things, mm-hmm. I'll watch them for, for the podcast. Just like I said for Romeo plus Juliet, I'll watch for the podcast. Oof. For the podcast. Uh, so getting into it, though, but yeah, Soviet Union, and uh, I've seen about four Macbeth movies, Bailey, and... And only one of them I've seen, they actually had Scottish accents. <laughs> oh, gosh. And it was the one directed by American Orson Welles, by the way. Mm-hmm. Orson Welles was doing a Scottish accent, and he hired, like, you know, people that actually could do Scottish accents. But he could do a Scottish accent. He was pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. From my American ears. Yeah. At least. But, yeah, it's, I mean... And so we got English people, but they're in this, again, Soviet Union version of of Scotland. And it does set the tone really well for what Gould's going for, I think, in terms of the the idea that this is a... And uh, I just came off of Kurzel's Macbeth, where it's also this, but Macbeth is so much a a post-war play. It's they've just gotten over this invasion... Mm-hmm. And Macbeth has proven himself as a warrior in in this war. They don't let that it that define it so much as like at least the character of Macbeth. And yeah. if you ever see the Curse on Macbeth with Michael Fassbender or just listen to my podcast about it, it's just like that Macbeth Macbeth is is traumatized by war and just kind of dead inside. Mm-hmm. Like this, Macbeth is not, and we'll we'll get to Patrick, Sir Patrick Stewart in in a bit. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think of the 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 Soviet aesthetic? Um, I thought it was definitely appropriate, considering that it's something that we can all sort of understand. Um, most people can understand the fact, like the sort of totalitarianism of Soviet Russia at the time, mm-hmm. and you know, in general. And it definitely puts into perspective, like, kind of that we're not really away from kings yet. <laughs> yeah, that's a, oh, that's a real great point. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That's why I love having you on. Just pointing out, well, I love doing this podcast. And and so uh, that and uh, and just kind of how the it does sell something that I think is a bit hard for us to understand now. Hopefully now. And and why we need something like Soviet backdrop is to understand the level of bloodshed mm-hmm. that, that transpires. I mean, this is a play that ends with Macbeth decapitated. This is not at all a PG story. Oh, no, not at all. War seldom is. <laughs> no, unless you have make it add the word star and have laser swords in it. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're getting into the aesthetic. I, I, I've said I don't like modernizing Shakespeare, and I do maintain that. I'm I'm loosening up to it. I, I've seen seeing more modernized Shakespeare. I'm more open to it now. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why is they don't really have anything too egregious like as i cite many times romeo plus juliet of, of of using guns but calling them swords as long as they don't do something like that i can more live with it well i mean i feel like that's the, i feel like romeo plus juliet is just a really bad example i mean how easy would it have been just to have a switchblade out and call it a sword i like, yes. I feel like you know <laughs> i feel like that's uh, like that just sort of lazy work there i don't uh trying yeah. too hard, trying too hard to modernize it yeah well there's lots of things of trying too hard in that movie mm-hmm. um so let's talk about a good movie uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like this i feel like like the subtitle of this podcast should be like um like romeo plus juliet bashing or something like that yeah <laughs> uh, well i just allude to it every now and then just because it is proof that there can be bad Shakespeare movies. Uh-huh. Uh, so, for, yeah, the modern style, and uh, I don't mind, like, you know, calling it a castle when they're in just a modern building, but you know what? Just a different type of castle. Right. Type of fortified. Uh, I think the only time it really did... It didn't bother me, but it but it was kind of a bit flawed, just because when they when the the age old part that's so wonderful when you read it and it works better in the medieval time is I thought I saw the woods moving. It's they they don't show it and it just doesn't kind of make sense in the modern modern day when you have guns. I mean, right. it, yeah. it, it would kind of make sense if if they did. Something along the lines of camouflage, I think. Uh, but I, I mean, know. were they? I I mean, I I'm gonna be totally honest. I didn't study for this test. Uh, <laughs> I just I just seen this movie several times and I've taught it, so I'm I'm going based off of that. But weren't they wearing camouflage? I mean, yeah, they were. They yeah, were, but and, and then they like tied the branches onto their bodies. Yeah. I mean, what what more? James? <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'll let it go. I'll let it go. Uh, don't sing the song. <laughs> I, I, uh, 
I think I exhibit very strong self-restraint in not doing it and just doing that one little line. <laughs> so can't hold it back anymore. The the other one that so the other choice that Gould makes, and this is something all adaptations of Shakespeare must choose, mm-hmm. is combining characters or moving lines to or trimming down. This isn't that abridged for Macbeth. It's pretty uncut, I think, for the most part. But they do combine some of the characters. And the biggest character that they that one when I saw him debut, I was like, oh, they're going for a more serious version of this character. And the, this is like the most serious reading I've seen of this. Mm-hmm. But then he comes back. I'm like, oh, oh, they're just making him a character. Is the porter. Yes. <laughs> they make him much more serious and much just this kind of crude servant of Macbeth. Like yep. soldier of Macbeth, and he just shows up several times, and just it's like, oh, okay, that's an interesting take. Mhm. I mean, last for the kind of Soviet aesthetic, or or just interesting line readings. I I I found it very fascinating to to just oh, early on, like one one of the moments, the execution of, and just how clinical and brutal it's it's quite death of Stalin of of the the murder of Cawdor the execution of Cawdor and how Malcolm tries to then like pretty it up and pretend it's something more than what it was is just like wow and then later on we see a character tortured for information on where uh, was it Banco or Macduff I think oh Macduff yeah but that would be Macduff yeah and that was just like, ooh, that's me- really marrying the the aesthetic perfectly with with different line readings. I I loved it. Yeah, uh, well, it, it's, a, it's a sort of um kind of putting butts in seats sort of thing. You have to have either a lot of you have to have vulgarity in some sort of sense. <laughs> so that's either um sex or blood. Yes, well, there's that's- blood. Yeah, there's not not a lot of sex in this, so they just made up for it in blood. The visual opens up to to a bloody hand, Mm -hmm. and and we open up to him to like that dying soldier giving the story of Macbeth. It's it is quite an opening, and it's visceral. And then we get the witches. So let's talk about performances now. And I want to first set it off with the witches. I adored the witches in this movie. These are my favorite witches I've seen in any Macbeth movie so far. Agreed. Oh, they were just, they went for it. They were so both terrifying. They were big. Mm -hmm. And gosh, the movements when they sang double, like they sang double, bubble, toil, and trouble. And they just, it was like, I don't know how to describe it. It's just. It's eerie. Well, then they did their job right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I just thought it was like, so interesting because, like, they, you know, it, I can't imagine, like, sort of having the sort of choices, okay, so how do I modernize witches sort of thing? And I think the way that, you know, that Gold decided to do it was so, like, super creative, you know, like, making them nurses. Yeah. Uh, 
And I don't know, it just it just kind of worked so well because like you were saying, they put on like this sort of haunting performance. You get a sense of sort of I don't know, it's like a, a sort of eeriness and yes. power and yet you don't necessarily see them as evil. No, yeah, and that's something that's always been a bit misunderstood about the Weird Sisters, is they aren't necessarily evil. I mean, you can kind of read that into the text. It's witchcraft, it's it's scary, it's not Christian, it's, ooh, witchcraft. But, like, what they do, other than how they got some of those creepy ingredients and cursing a couple people that tick them off, right. they're not really evil not in the way like Macbeth is more clearly like ooh you know you're a bad guy mm-hmm. they're more like remote other and one of the things that I love is like, like neutral if you think about it that way like they don't, they don't play by anyone's rules but their own but they're not necessarily you know there to do harm or good for anyone well they're, 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 just, they're just serving a higher power here oh yeah well, other interpretations flat out go for it, which I, I I do appreciate. And this one kind of went for it, although not as much. But they're, they're sometimes they're they're played literally as the fates, pretty much. And yeah. they they just they just tell you what what you what they know, and it's just up to people to misinterpret it as they want. Like Banco completely misreads what what he what he's for prophesized he thinks like oh my sons are gonna be king oh fleance is gonna be the heir of macbeth cool it's like mm, no that's not what they meant that's not what we said sir <laughs> yes <laughs> you'll find out later yeah well that is kind of like the most misleading thing ever it's like oh yeah your sons will be king you know mm-hmm. like a couple hundred years from now yeah, well, you know, they're talking in riddles. What, it, you know, <laughs> yep. sort of miscommunication. Yeah. Well, I love that. I always love, mm-hmm. I always love that Oedipal prophecy twist of just, you're going to kill your your father and marry your mother. What? Oh, no. dad. No, I'm running yeah. away. Hey, annoying guy, get out of my way. Bam. Kill father. Yeah. Check. Hey, pretty lady. Hello yeah. there. Mary, Mary and, have, and sex mother. Check. Check. Have kids with mother. Check. Check. Ugh. Disaster and ruin. Yes. And Tigny, can you please check that off for me? I can't see it anymore. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, but no, I, I love. I, I gotta be. I gotta be honest with you. I love a good loophole like that. Oh yeah. Well, no, no, no. I'm. I adore. Not because I was born this way, but I love born of a woman. I was like, well, I was not born of a woman. I was untimely ripped. Yeah, I was from my mother's womb untimely ripped. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, snap. There were only two actors other than Patrick Stewart that I recognized. One of them, one of the witches is played by uh, the same actress who would go on to play Lysa Aaron in game of thrones so that was cool see her there yes and the other one and the actress who played lady Macbeth, i was like where have i seen her before i found out later on she she was a bit player in les miserables 
Yeah, she w- was a bit player in um, Les Mis. And then um, I actually also recognize her from a show called Harlots. Oh. So she, she's in there, too. She's fun. Um, but, yeah, she's just, she sort of peppers herself throughout, you know, different little pieces. and. Let, oh. let me get her name out. And I also want to just talk about her. So moving on. I mean, well, what more can we say? Oh, actually, okay, one of the touches I like, and mm-hmm. part of what I mean by Macbeth being a, a director's play, is the choice of of the visions. And for a TV budget movie, mm-hmm. one, this movie looks gorgeous for a TV budget movie. They do. Oh, definitely, good. like I, like the copy that I have is like, oh, this is like a like a like a PBS kind of thing. What? Yeah. Oh yeah, Gould knows what to do with his money. Oh yeah. Same with like what they did with the Hollow Crown of like they. Although I think with the Hollow Crown they had a decent amount of money with it, but like they make it like wow, this this is a this looks like it could be in in theaters. This is great mm-hmm. and put it with some of the best Shakespeare plays of all time. Wow, sold. Uh, so let me get the actress's name. She is really really. Kate Fleetwood. Kate Fleetwood. So, yeah. So, Kate Fleetwood as Lady Macbeth. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, thought was- I, think she, she, I think she steals almost every scene she's with, and she's acting opposite Pat, Sir Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. So, that, I mean, that that's hot take, but I'm going to be honest. Like, she's just so charismatic. She just, when I first saw her, I was like, okay, you are going for it. You are yeah, going for it, and she, it she works. Yeah, she definitely plays it as a really, like, sort of powerful, almost kind of, almost, I don't know, overwhelming character, if oh, you will. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, yeah. And that, that is Lady Macbeth, though. Lady Macbeth is this dominant personality. She's mm-hmm. she's a big character, and I love mm-hmm. this huge emotions and just getting in there and unsex me and just going for it and yeah. i'm not gonna go into true comparison games but and but this is why i have this podcast to talk about the interpretations of the characters this lady macbeth i think more than anyone is not just into macbeth's ambitions and says like oh hell no 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 we you are doing this like no no, like, re- regret. We are totally doing this. But I love the moment w- with the bloody daggers. I- I've seen it other times where she becomes horrified at what, at like, at just spreading the blood, even though she hasn't done the deed. Mm-hmm. This one I do like that she's just flat out annoyed, and she's just like, eh, whatever. Like, yeah, I'm soaking in blood. I don't care. Kind of, kind of like hear her cursing in her mind. Yeah, I'm just like, oh my. Gosh, you are an why? It's, I like that she's just annoyed at him. Like, why did you bring the daggers back? Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> I like that. I like, do myself. I didn't do anything right. Okay, <laughs> just husbands. What are you gonna do? <laughs> I like that. I. I, I while I thought it was an interesting choice, I often there are certain times when I almost find it. I don't know, like almost a little alienating um, in terms of 
believability, if you will. Um, simply because I feel like she kind of starts out like way, almost way too intense, and it kind of gives us some distance from her instead of being able to sort of understand her like as a logical human being. And she kind of almost starts out crazy. You know what I mean? I and- do know what you mean by that. Yes. I mean, I mean, uh, not. I'll do a little bit of comparison game, but like Kurzel's Macbeth m- makes you automatically understand and sympathize with Lady Macbeth, even though all she does because she is a mother and the opening of that Macbeth movie is them burying their their baby child. Yes. And so that automatically makes you understand like, oh, and it's a very daring interpretation of, of Macbeth uh, and, and and have Macbeth and Lady Macbeth parents. Mm-hmm. And that really defines the that, that interpretation of the play. Well, so that's my problem with Lady Macbeth, though, is that whether or not Macbeth is actually a parent, she is. She was she was at one point a mother. Yes. You know, it's stated very plainly. It's never stated plainly um, whether Macbeth is. I actually think that they sort of mentioned, I, I, I don't know if I'm making this up or if I just made this up or um, it was actually in there. They, they mentioned, like, I can't, like, that, like, Macbeth, like, I can't have kids sort of thing. So I'm not going to get it. I'm not getting any heir. Like, yeah. I, can't, I can't have any heirs. Um, but she obviously could. So, I don't know, maybe the second marriage, or I don't know, maybe she just already hit menopause, I don't know. But, um, she, she was a mother, and that sort of, sort of thing, like, kind of throws me sometimes, because I'm trying to sort of connect these two of her, like, you know, knowing the love of a child, which she clearly states she's known the love of a child and she has been loving and she has been nurturing i'm trying to sort of reconcile that with her now personality like is she a little bit twisted inside because maybe she lost her child or 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 what's going on here Mm -hmm. Uh, but i'm i'm trying to give you know uh miss fleetwood yeah i'm trying to give the interpretation a fair shake but it's it's one of the problems that I have with her. It's one of the problems that my students have with her is the fact that they're not able to connect with her because they don't see her as a real person. They just see her as an overplayed, almost hysterical woman that's like an archetype rather than a real human being. Mm-hmm. And I think the issue with that is is that we are seeing, we're starting off with her already having sort of this sort of trauma and we're not used to seeing you know, Shakespearean ladies with such ambition. Mm-hmm. And it's overpowering in this interpretation. Well, I mean, that is the challenge. Um, I mean, that's the challenge of Margaret, of Shakespeare's Margaret of Anjou in the, the Henry the Sixth trilogy. Right. Is that she's an ambitious, conniving woman. But there's plenty of scenes in those plays where much more in the text flat out where you can see the human side of Margaret and also you can understand where she's coming from when she is railing and she's being ambitious and when she does some of the most appalling things you can you can understand where she comes from but Lady Macbeth pretty much the opening scene is her automatically and that's a challenge with the character I do admit it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a challenge with the text is if you want to find the sympathy for her and I think one of the interesting things though is you find the sympathy in her 
halfway through. It's a bit like the other mm-hmm. play I'm constantly referencing this podcast series. I'm sorry, but but Richard II of that you don't really sympathize at all with Richard II until about halfway through when he's lost his power. Because mm-hmm. that's when he kind of more reveals the human side of himself. And he's not full of himself anymore because he kind of recognizes, oh, crap, the jig is up. And same with Lady Macbeth, I feel, in that you 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 are introduced to her as this big conniving woman who is just and is so dark that when she mentions what you were mentioning, that she's references being a mother. But she says that she would even though she's felt that tenderness and knows how how mm-hmm. dear that is, she would bash that child's brain to a wall just mm-hmm. for just for misleading her. So, well, she says that she would do it if she had promised to do it. Yeah. She's basically, yeah, she's basically emphasizing the fact, like, if I had promised something to you, I I would go through with it. You've promised yeah. to me, you have to go through with it. <laughs> yes. You better. And. Yeah, you- like, I would kill my baby if I told you I would do it. Like, you should be able to kill a freaking king. Yeah. Wow. And I really... It's really in the, the halfway point as she sees her husband go insane. I think that's where the human side comes in. And to that point where she eventually kills herself. out of mm-hmm. and, and where she's feeling this guilt. That's where the human side of Lady Macbeth goes. And that Macbeth becomes they swap roles basically that's part of the play is that macbeth becomes much more like lady macbeth of just unrelenting assure of himself and just unhuman a monster by the end and by the end of the play lady macbeth is nothing but regret and doubt and shame yeah so that is where I, I feel like her, I agree with you. Her humanity is redeemed there because she starts to, you know, have those all those feelings that you just mentioned. And we start to see the vulnerability of this character when she realizes that things are now out of her control. She thought she was in control because at the beginning, you know, it's like her and her husband are a team. But then she starts to realize that he's kind of almost leaving her behind. There's a particular moment um, in this when she's like, you know, I think they're getting ready for that crazy dinner, you know, yes. the, you know, they're getting ready for the dinner in, in what I like to call in in, the, in that red room. Uh, and, you know, she's just not doing well. And she's like expressing all of these sorts of like, did we do the right thing? Um, like this kind of thing is sort of we did a horrible thing sort of thing. And yes. um, he like, tries to comfort her and so that's nice we still get to see that sort of bit of love and not really compassion but that sort of love and okay you're my wife calm down sort of thing um but then there's that moment when they're going down and he holds out his hand for her to take and she like slowly almost hesitatingly uh reaches for it and then he just sort of grabs it and i'm just like and we see like that sort of almost like clearly communicates there has been a power shift here it's oh no yeah. Longer, no longer a team effort. It's now Macbeth has gone crazy, and um, Lady Macbeth is going to be the one who suffers for it. Yes. And I also, adding on to that, just her perf- Fleetwood's performance of Out Damned Spot 
Oh my gosh, yes. It is harrowing. It's it is difficult to watch as it should be. It's it's a great scene. And that added visual element of, of the faucet of blood mm-hmm. is perfect, I think. And putting lye on her just to just to clean herself or bleach or whatever it is. Some whatever sort it is, of, it's some sort of yeah. chemical that should not be put on skin. Yeah. Just judging by the doctor and, <laughs> and bedmaids response, like, ooh. Mm-hmm. It is unsettling, and that's it's it's a it's a great challenge. Lady Macbeth is a wonderful character, and she's such a complex character and challenging character. Mm-hmm. And I think they would brought it. I think she brought it. Oh, she most definitely did. I I mean, I'm not gonna say she didn't. <laughs> and so that leads us to the elephant in the room although i i suppose before we could i, I could just briefly say not a weakness in the in the plot in the film but just kind of didn't really leave much of an impression on me was this Macduff. hmm this Macduff and also banco to a degree like they, they just kind of didn't i didn't get a real sense of of interpretation from either of them Mm-hmm. I think w- with this Macduff, the only thing I, I got was that this Macduff is a bit more purely, he's a bit of this kind of English quality of, you know, stiff over lip. You don't really show your emotions, so he just kind of just tries to bottle up how sad he is mm-hmm. by the death of his children when he gets the news. And yeah. he's also kind of bottling up the anger at the same time, like kind of like, I want him dead, but I'm just going to just kind of pretend I'm not letting it bother me. Um, I'm not so sure I agree with you there, James. I actually feel like that was one of my favorite moments. Okay. In, you know, especially um, of his. Because, you know, when you get that sort of news, I feel like you don't feel it all at once. It kind of has to wash over you. And I feel like it was kind of like just this sort of storm going on. That's what I got. It was more like a storm for him where he experienced like the initial sort of shock and then the sadness and then all the, this sort of uh, this powerful anger that, you know, sort of welled up inside of him. Um, But this could comment on the fact of, you know, how, you know, he handles his emotions and how they might not be the best way but i don't know i feel like all of those things that he went through were kind of deserved i'd be kind of picked up if you could my entire family (laughs) oh yeah well no no no. his response and it's a completely understandable and justified vengeance and but there's a kind of a a reservation there that you might be you might have been trying to hit at where it wasn't it wasn't over the top. It was like clenched teeth, kind of holding it all in, shaking with rage rather than letting it all out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's that. That is the interpretation. So it, I don't know. Just Macduff, you is is such a big late term character that just leaves an impression once he gets in there. Mm-hmm. That I felt this one. It, it was a good performance for what it was. It just did. 
it didn't leave as much of an impression on me as I, I, as other characters have and performances right. i mean i love the, the the porter character having more to do and just being around and being this kind of creepy cynic right yeah i mean like like we mentioned earlier he was he was around um and banco what what did you think of the person playing banco um i feel like he, i don't know i think bank was kind of difficult because i i feel like bank was just kind of a like a, a character that kind of just moves the story along you know like what is there really to interpret well and that's a great question and but he and this he's actually a great example of one of the small characters being or just supporting characters that can be really vary I, i've seen i've seen ambitious bankos that were slimy i've seen bankos that were macbeth's best friends that are horrifically betrayed i've seen bankos that really are good fathers and i've seen bankos that were just kind of like this one where they're just kind of like just there well, i don't know i feel like as a character i feel like um the actor did a really sort of well-rounded person you know i really got that he was like he's like a guy i want to go grab a beer with you know what i mean <laughs> just really friendly and like has a really strong character and you know, like a good father and you know that just an all-around good guy and so that kind of oh yeah you know so like i, I feel I like think... the, the the thought was there but as a character like i said i'm uh it's kind of forgettable. <laughs> yes. I I think the only reason I disagree slightly with that is there are some hints like one of the great things early on the question is is how much he re how much he, Banco just like Macbeth responds to the the weird sister's first prophecy. Mhm. Like this Banco is much more kind of like and and the way that I read it was like, if you do it, I don't mind. Just like, but I'm not gonna help you with it at all. And he's also just a little bit self-aware, but also not as much of a participant. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of why I'm just a little bit frustrated because I want a more definitive like, is he in it? Is he repulsed? Is he just kind of like, eh, do what you gotta do. I don't know. I feel, I feel like my interpretation from that was him being aware that, you know, it was kind of like, I know some, like, we both know the same thing that no one else knows, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, we both, like, the, they both said that you were going to be king. Um, and now that we both know that, I'm a little worried about you because you know you're on, now you're only one step away from being king, and that kind of worries me. Yeah. Because in order for you to be king, you're, only one person has to die. Mm. It's not, you know, it's kind of suspicious. It kind of puts that doubt into him in terms of his friend's uh, reliability, I guess you would call it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, like, like that's what I was getting from that character. He's like kind of, kind of became a little more suspicious. Yeah. Kind of, kind of keeping a careful eye on his friend that, <laughs> he might not want to consider his friend anymore because were that to happen, he knows that, okay, 
you're going to be king and my sons will be king. There's going to be something weird going on here because it sounds like there's going to be some bad blood or something where my children are going to like dethrone you or something. Yeah. So well, in terms of staging, so we, we, there are many interesting staging choices. And in terms of modernization, to have Banco be poisoned and to have Fleance escape via train mm-hmm. is a very interesting staging way. Like the, I've seen Bancos that, that are a bit more heroic and a, and a bit braver, but this one's kind of, this one still does a good job. There's also an interesting take on the killers where they're, I've seen the killers where they're just so just kind of blase about it. Like, all right, whatever, just pay me and I'll, I'll do it. But where they're actually the ones with, with conscience and saying like, uh, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Banco. Sure. Fine. Whatever. Kinda. I'm not exactly comfortable. That's like what Fleance? Uh, I don't want to kill a kid, man. Yeah. <laughs> And they later defect, or at least one of them defects, which I do like. I like that. I like that touch. It's a nice touch. So we've saved it up for last. Let's let's talk about the the titular performance. Sir Patrick Stewart as Macbeth. Okay. So what do you think of him as the as the great thane? You know, uh, it's Sir Patrick Stewart. What can you say? Um, let's see. Where to start? So uh, I have seen Patrick Stewart be a play more shady and dirty characters. I mean, of course I know him as the playing noble Charles Xavier, a little bit Picard. Uh, I, I've seen him be the, these noble pacifists. And I've seen him in... But I've seen him be... Claudius in, in Hamlet. I've seen him be Sejanus and I Claudius. I've seen him be these kind of more shadier guys that would be like, ooh. And wow, Patrick Stewart, you can be you can be a bad guy. Range. Yes. Yes. Acting. Acting. <laughs> so, I, I would say for this Macbeth, what what, what singles out his Macbeth compared to others I've seen. This is a really charming Macbeth. This is a Macbeth that tries to get you to like him. Like he he sings a, a couple times, or not sings, but just kind of like like tries to charm you by kind of going in a bit of a lyrical voice. He also howls like a wolf at one point. Oh yeah. Just <laughs> like okay, that's choice. I like it. Um, yeah, he, he can definitely can be charming, um, but it just sort of goes into that sort of, yeah, so that adds some sort of depth to it. My concern for this, uh, interpretation is the fact that I think it speaks really deeply into the character itself is that he start like, he, he's not a, necessarily an unlikable guy, you no. know? No, he, yeah. you know, not all bad people are going to be unlikable, and 
this guy just, just just happened to turn bad. I mean, he if you consider, you know, what happened before the play started, I'm pretty sure he was well-liked. I mean, the king made him Thane of Cawdor after the original Thane, you know, kind of bit the bullet. Yep. Um, and then, you know, so he must have been... Yeah, it was just this invaluable. He, he basically won the the war against the invaders. Yeah, so that's the thing. He was loyal. He was reliable. He was trustworthy. But then, then, but this is interesting, and this is always a question of of what Macbeth you're gonna do, of his response, and that's always a telling choice. In that, and this is why Shakespeare is a great exemplar of. And kind of in some ways a rebuke to the auteur theory of that. I've seen four versions of, of Macbeth movies, and each one has a different response, even though they say the same line, just what their kind of tone. Some are excited, some are just horrified, some are just perplexed to when they first meet the weird sisters and they hear, you're going to be king. Mm. And like... Like John Finch's Macbeth, for example, just kind of laughed it off like, huh, yeah, I'm going to be king. Yeah, whatever. And it really takes him hearing that he's now Thane of Cawdor, that they that he actually starts to take it seriously of like, oh, oh, you are just crazy old ladies. And so this one. Maybe he always had that. And that, that's always interesting is, like, did you always have this in you? Or was this kind of brought out by the, the the weird sisters, a little bit by your wife? Yeah, because Sir Patrick's sort of reaction, if I remember properly, is he hears and he's just like, oh, really? Yes, exactly. It's just like he's automatically like, really? Okay. But at the same time, and what Sir Patrick does well is he also is able to kind of just gently... Because I've also then this is a good case of of how you interpret the te- the text, but his doubt, the early half where where Macbeth is doubtful and not certain whether or not he wants to go through with this. Mm. He, I've seen it play much more as this kind of big, almost to be or not to be moment. One, there's a lot of there's a lot of kitchen scenes in this in this adaptation of, of Shakespeare. Well, if you think about it. A lot of the convers if you go to a party, a lot of people just end up in the kitchen anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? True. And you can tell a lot by someone by the by how they carry themselves in doing, you know, food business. Yes. So he's just in the in the kitchen and right. it's interesting how he, he plays out that the doubt speech of if it should be done. And the way he plays it, it's the it's the doubts kind of just convince himself where he's like yeah, I'm not gonna do this. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's like oh, if it were done, it was like he's actually just realizing I'm making excuses. I don't really want to do this. Okay, fine, whatever. I'm not gonna do this. Mm-hmm. Well, he, well, yeah, I think that line comes a little later anyway. But yeah, that moment where he's just sort of asking himself like, am I really gonna do this? Can I like betray my king? who has given me so many honors just so that I can have some power. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the 
that's it's his final moment and then the dagger of the mind and mm-hmm. again interesting choice by gould interesting choices and and when i say interesting i don't mean bad by the way i just mean interesting as in like oh that's a cool choice interesting yeah. uh, to have him be looking at us at the audience directly into the camera for the dagger of the mind mm-hmm. that's that sort of intensity we get that intensity of his thought by doing when, when they do that mm-hmm. what's really fun about this is um i'm like an amateur movie analyzer as well as you know literature analyzer and so when i'm introducing this sort of concept to my um to, to anyone really about movies you know it's that sort of thing is like okay they put the camera right there why there why not to the side yes. why not further back why not closer up or something like that why did they tilt it at a 45 degree angle rather than having it up and down like normal sort of thing you know um mm-hmm. and so that's just one of the really awesome things with uh gold is like he he took this sort of production that was meant for the stage and then he had the skill and the know-how to translate that into an effective movie yes you know i 100% agree and yeah that that's what's smart and that's what you should do and what you I'm more and more. I'm. I'm sorry. I love Catherine, and I, I don't mean to bash my. I've, but I, I've said before. I'm, I'm more and more of the Lawrence Olivier camp of. If you gotta mangle the text or do what you have to do to make a great movie, make a great movie. Right. It's your first goal is to make a good movie, not make a great Shakespeare adaptation. Exactly. Um, make a great Shakespeare adaptation in making a great movie. Yeah, that's the thing. Because if you make a horrible movie, then it's also horrible Shakespeare. Yes. So. Case in point. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Keep on going bashing it. Well, Take a shot every time they bash um, Romeo plus Juliet. We don't want to kill people. The. <laughs> the. Uh, but but staging choices also having Macbeth see Lady Macbeth. Like her corpse be mm-hmm. be carted off to him as he gives tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I mean, that definitely adds to him just say, wishing, like, oh, just if only you had died tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Just like, and then, but then realizing just how empty and meaningless that is. And yeah, Shakespeare. Um, when I was reading this, when we were reading this play in my the online Shakespeare reading group, I'm a part of. We just kind of ended it, and one person said, like, Shakespeare was going through a nihilism phase when he wrote this. Well, he did write it during the plague. Oh, yeah. And his son had died. It's well chronicled. Yeah, exactly. So, so just like, yeah, but it's like, Shakespeare, are you okay? You okay? Yeah. Why? Well, tomorrow... Like nothing? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, we'll yeah, just keep at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, get, some, <laughs> get some rest and don't kill yourself. Yeah, Macbeth is not a cheery play. No, no, uh, it is not. Um, 
but you know. I mean, this isn't the most nihilistic. The, it's still Polanski's movie. Polanski's Macbeth is still like the most depressing Macbeth movie you will ever see. <laughs> if you can stomach watching a movie made by that man, it's it's it is the darkest thing anyone could ever see <laughs> for a Shakespeare movie. Which is taking Macbeth and making it like going over the top. It sounds. Um, I could describe it to you after the podcast, but just like suffice it to say, it's like it's pure like pure nihilism. Mm-hmm. Like, damn, it's just like oh wow. I can tell you your wife died or was murdered right before you right before you made this. Seriously. It's like oh, gee, I wonder what was going through his mind. Mm-hmm. So, not that you need to be in deep pain to make this movie, and I to make Macbeth, and I really hope you don't have to be. I don't wish that on anybody. Right. So, let's get to the final scene then, before we close it off. Okay. So, drunk Macbeth confronting Macduff. That is interesting, also, of just like, where this Macbeth is just so broken, and he I have seen Macbeth where they want to die, but this one, it's more like kind of like outwardly like saying like, please kill me. Just please kill me. But at the same time, but I can't die. I'm charmed. So this sucks. Mm-hmm. I hate this. Yeah, that was a really, that was a really sort of interesting choice that was made there where, you know, he's just like, you know what? I'm over it. But you know what? I'm also invincible. So yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? Get drunk. That's what you're going to do. Yeah. Well, actually, I want to kind of take back or contextualize something I said earlier, Bailey. Yep. Uh, the, I said that, he, the, that this Macbeth was charming. But I think charming in the way that the, the devil tries to charm you kind of way. In that what you were talking about earlier about that scene where where Lady Macbeth is trying to express her doubts and starting to get uncomfortable and where the power dynamic has shifted. Right. That's when Patrick Stewart is full pulling on the charms of like, and, and kind of in a sleazy way, quite frankly, of just like trying to say like, Ooh, dance. And he kind of like sings mm-hmm. it a little bit. Some of the lines. But yeah. Then at the end of it, he's threatening her. Mm-hmm. It's, it's manipulation really. Oh yeah. It's total gaslighting. It's total just like, Everything's going to be fine, babe. Everything's going to be fine. You better not screw this up. Mm-hmm. I was just like, what the? And that's big red flag. And then the decision that plenty have done, but it is very powerful to the way Gould chose to do it, to have Macbeth be the one to be a 100% participant in the murder of Macduff's children. That's when it's just like, oh, there is no coming back from this. Oh, yeah, no. And that's like, oh, you are pure evil now. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Well, so that's one of the things that kind of, like, sort of got me was the fact that he went from this person who was having doubts and, you know, was considered a good and noble person. And then all of a sudden, now he's killing kids. Mm-hmm. Well, it does, it, it does bring... It's, it's the darker way to 
he does the darker interpretation of of what Lady Macbeth tells him that her arc words of what's done cannot be undone mm-hmm. which comes to haunt her but right. it's like what, what's done cannot be undone and and that's her trying to encourage him to say like okay we've done it now come on we can stop though we can stop, stop. <laughs> and he's like well no what's done cannot be undone I'm not gonna let myself be uncrowned hell no yeah, so it's kind of like, I've already spilled the milk. Might as well throw some eggs and flour on the counter. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I'm already damned. I don't care now. Yeah, seriously. They're like, okay, well, I've, I've done horrible things to get this crown. I'm going to keep it. Yeah. And, okay, and what did you interpret about this? But the constant image of almost always of, of going down an elevator shaft. Oh, dude, it's hell. It's a, it's a different yeah. level. Absolutely. That, that's the way I interpreted it almost all the time. It's, it, it is descending. It's Dante. And it's just, we're just going down deeper and deeper. Well, I mean, and by the end, you, you see Lady Macbeth and Macbeth probably descending to hell. Mm-hmm. Like they make, they've made their final descent. Right. I mean, because the entire play takes place, you know, underground. Yeah. You know, with, you know, a few snippets here and there of above ground um, scenes, but most of that's people coming and going. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it is yeah. hell on that. Oh. And Soviet Union is a perfect place to choose like this, because quite frankly, in the 40s, Soviet Union was hell. Mm-hmm. Where you would either get killed by the Nazis or you would be killed by Russians for being a coward. Right. Great time. Great time. And I don't want to end it on that. I don't want to end it on that. Although, I'm sorry, it's just Macbeth is not exactly a cheery play. Oh, not at all. And I feel like the, I feel like, you know, one of the more funny things that they had in there was the porter. And they, they, robbed, us of, they robbed us of that. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. supposed to comedic relief. And all we got was some, like, you know, weird... P humor. Yeah. Humor pretty much. Yeah, but, not a lot. Although he's in there, so he's like kind of a bit more like, like I said, he makes some of the lines a little bit funnier. Mm-hmm. Kind of. He's basically like the drunk uncle. Yeah. Yes. Very much so. Where he makes you uncomfortable, but like you, you giggle because of the uncomfortableness. <laughs> well, maybe that's how you have to go sometimes. Yeah. Well, in perfect Shakespearean tradition, we went from Shakespeare. We, we had you, you. You came on to talk about a wonderful comedy. Now we're talking about a wonderful tragedy. And the wheel turn. It, yeah, evil turn. So maybe come back to talk about Lion King or something nice. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh gosh, yeah, Lion King. Or um, I'm trying to think. So many possibilities, I'm sure. Um, but yeah. Uh, not a very cheery play, but had a fun time talking about it. Yeah, I had a great time talking about it. Thank you so much for coming on, Bailey. Um, We'll see you guys next week for another episode. Thank you. See you then. Remember, kiddos.